Hey, everybody. Um, it's the night of Wednesday, March 23rd. Um, and I haven't done one of these for a little while podcast, just for the simple fact. I mean, I don't know what else there is to say about Ukraine. Uh, and, and now got, there, there's actually some more stuff going on right now, I think. Um, and, and the markets, I mean, these markets have been up and down and sideways and, uh, you know, they, it, it you know, made new highs a little while ago, it backed off. You know, of course, a lot of people thought that war was going to be over pretty quick. I think so did Putin. Hasn't happened. Dug in now. A lot of damage, I think, to the Ukrainian ports. Probably more than what we, you know, will understand. Talk a little bit more about that later. But, I mean, where are you going to, you know, with supply chain issues, where are you going to get the parts to fix everything? And, you know, where are you going to get the labor? And I'll talk a little bit more about this. But I, I'm not sure what I'm going to title this one and maybe just odds and ends or everything. But, but what I really want to touch on is um, I think we have a, a big chance of locking the markets up. And what I mean locking them up, not locking them up or locking them down. I mean just the, 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 the marketing system that we have in this world basically, especially for commodities, is based on these futures markets where you can lay off risk. And and what I'm what I'm getting to is uh, the nickel market at the London Metals Exchange, which oh by the way is not in London anymore; it's in Hong Kong. And there's a Chinese billionaire mixed up in this whole thing too. But basically, this Chinese billionaire was buying physical cop or physical nickel, and you know nickel's used to make stainless steel and a bunch of other stuff, um, used in airplanes and and everything else. Uh, but he was buying nickel from the Russians, and as he bought it from the Russians, he was then selling futures contracts on the uh, London Metals Exchange. You know, nothing different than what our grain elevators do. You know, they buy our grain, and that you know, and, and that they don't have it marketed right away. They they got to take an offsetting position in the futures market to to make themselves even. So he was doing that, but then the the market went to a hundred thousand dollars a ton. Up from like twenty thousand dollars a ton, which is like up from five thousand dollars a ton. It just was not that long ago. He couldn't make the margin calls, and there was a bunch of banks behind him. You know, he's got this huge steel company, and you know you're going to BK this thing when the world's short of steel. Okay, so they decided to just cancel. A bunch of the trades on the day that it shot up really high, the big short squeeze was put on. So if you had made a whole bunch of money, your trades just got canceled too. And then they've 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 waited about a week, opened the thing back up. It's been chaotic, and they just it looks like yesterday they just canceled some more trades. Well, you got a futures market there that's not working. Now, there's a, there's a nickel futures market, the Shanghai, that I think is working a little better. But now you got these private banks that's doing these buy-sell spreads. They, they will buy it and sell it, but, man, they're taking a huge cut. Uh, 
and 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 I guess the and and today it looked like to me there was fresh money came into the market and everything opened up. And oh, by the way, I'm I'm not a market advisor. I'm just a farmer that markets my own grain. And I talk about it every now and then, and kind of what I'm thinking and what I'm seeing. And um, I'm not telling you what to do one way or the other. I'm just looking at what's going on. But when you look at uh, the 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 what was it the other day? Um, you know, the bean market went up a lot, and and a guy tweeted out that all day only nine thousand option contracts traded. And back in like two thousand eight or two thousand twelve, you know, they'd have traded nine thousand contract or option contracts by nine o'clock in the morning. So you got a market journey when markets rally. It means there's fresh money coming into this thing, and you're building, you know, contracts. And, of course, the big washout comes when everybody tries to run through the side of the barn at the same time, and they take the wall of the barn out, and the roof comes crashing down, and, you know, the whole barn collapses. Well, um, this thing's going up because I, I think there's a lot of things that need to be priced into the market, but yet, you know, are you seeing a huge increase in contracts? And that's concerning to me. I, I, you know, if you lose... If you lose your futures markets, that's that's not a good thing. And I think when, when you look at what's going on there, um, and, and nothing, nothing against the average guy on a grain elevator board, but we got a lot of farmers on these co-op grain elevator boards that's probably not even thinking about this. Um, I'm, we got some really good managers that are. I, sh- I know they are, and you probably got some board presidents that are. But I don't think the average farmer's thinking about this thing either. And you know, buy sell spreads can widen. And I was talking to a guy that's a wheat producer in um, uh, kind of west central Illinois, got some sand ground, and he said the basis was a buck three, a dollar and three cents. Basis normally is about. 40 cents where him and I are at. So, you know, if the futures market is uh, $4, we're getting $3.60 for the week. If the futures market's, you know, $6, we're getting $5.60. It's just kind of what it is. I mean, that's, that's, you know, it's 40 cent basis. It's a dollar. And, you know, the, 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 you know, a lot of farmers threw a fit when these grain elevators switched from basin off the May to basin off the July. Of course, the July was like 30, 40 cents cheaper. And I'm like, you know what? They could have stayed on the May and just increased the basis by 40, 50 cents. And and I know it upset a lot of people because it dropped a lot of bids. But, you know, they, they got if, if you can't ship corn till July... You got to hedge that corn for July. You got to hedge it in the July contract, not the May contract. And normally, you know, the May and July contract, there's not that much of a spread. Well, and there's generally carry in the market, which the elevator would roll it back and make the money on it. Well, there's no, it, 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 there was a negative carry. You know, and, and, you know, are we going to get to a situation like some of the markets have been around the world? Can you get a bid? And I've been told this is going on in the petroleum market too. That that manage money on the run up in the petroleum price here. This last run up, managed money's been actually taking their money out of the petroleum market, not putting it in, 
And so you got a market going up and the con- number of contracts going down, which generally doesn't make sense. Generally, when the number of contracts go down, that means more people are liquidating, getting out, and the thing goes down. Of course, I think some of this may be, um, you, you know, may, may, may be based on, you know, people not having, a, as I told somebody, you know, and he said, do you think? Um, the investment class not having a lot of faith in the Biden administration right now. And then on top of it, I think you could also end up with the, um, with, with, well, let's face it, price controls. I think that'd be the worst thing we could do, but you get these prices high enough, you get people having trouble getting stuff. And oh, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm a little concerned about enough diesel fuel being around. I think we're going to have enough gas, but did we have enough diesel fuel? That it's it's going to be interesting where that where that thing goes, and, and what goes on there. And you know, not only can you get a bid if if futures lock up, you know how how big will the spread be, and can you even get a cat? And and you know there was some of that going on in the in the wheat market. You just couldn't get a bid for wheat. Um. You know, you, you, it's it's time that we start thinking the unthinkable. And, you know, a lot of people make fun of her and talk about her and everything. But Sue Martin talking, you know, $30 soybeans. What's 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 the operations going to look like if we got $30 soybeans? I, I mean, and there was a number of producers that have sold new crop corn for like $4.80. Thought it was a really good sale. Well, if corn goes... To ten bucks, that means your hedge has got more money in it than what you sold it for. And what I mean, the hedge, somebody's hedged that off, whether it's the grain elevator or the person that bought it from the grain elevator, you know, the bigger grain elevator. I mean, somebody's hedged that thing somewhere. And um, there's also some pro pricing contracts that people are really upset over. Because the pro-pricing guys that have done so well in the last few years, Deb, not done very well at all and are into kind of a quote-unquote bad position, it looks like to me, and are scrambling from behind. Um, and, and I think – and the reason I say we've got to start thinking the unthinkable, especially our farm groups and our industry leaders, they need to have some ideas, a plan, because what – I know what the I know what the politicians' plan will be, and that'll be price controls. We're just going to set the price at this, or we're going to you know limit this, or we're going to ration it, or whatever. And I think that would be just the exact wrong market signals that this market needs. You know, high prices cure high prices, and low prices cure low prices. Um, and I did notice a bunch of farm groups went to trying to to get the the um, people to back off of CRP, and we'll talk about that in a little bit here too. But you know. Um, I've also heard some farmers too that have that have got some of this pro marketing stuff and this you know 480 corn. They're just not going to deliver, and I'm going to caution you real hard about don't do that. The other thing is if you lose live close to a state line and you think you're going to haul it from one state to another, I can tell you from experience that becomes a federal offense because you are crossing state lines. No, I did not do it. I just. Be, being in my former position in my former job, it when, when you have grain that's contracted in state one, 
and you decide, hmm, the markets went up a lot. Let's move it across the state line to state two. Um, well, you just move stuff across federal uh, across state lines, and now it becomes a federal offense, and you're dealing with the feds. So don't do that. You know, um, you know, if spec and manage money are getting out of petroleum, and, and like I said, today it looked like maybe some new money was coming into this market, but. You know, $17 soybeans, $7 corn, $11 wheat. Um, who's got the kahunas to go in there and buy that thing? Because you got to have some kahunas to waltz in there and buy that thing. Um, really, really big. Now, um, you know, who takes the other side of the trade? That's that's the question. Um you know, if you're going to sell it, somebody's got to buy it. If somebody, if you're going to buy it, somebody's got to sell it. Somebody's got to take that offsetting, and that's generally been your specs and your managed money. And if they're all worried about what's going on, then it's just us and the end users. And that means you have a market that doesn't have "quote unquote" the people that make the market, which is the the speculators and the and the managed money. Um. Uh, so let's talk about if the Ukrainian war ends tonight. It just ends tonight. You know, with all the supply chain issue, where are you going to get the parts to to fix these ports and this, you know, stuff that's busted and rail lines? And, you know, look at the amount of concrete they're going to need to probably fix bridges and everything else. And, um, you know, l- labor issues. Hey, the wife and kids went to Poland. And I'm stuck here because I got to fight or I got a farm or whatever. You know, they, all the males had to stay there. But, but as soon as this war's over... The wife and kids established in Poland. The guy's heading there. Daddy's going home. But home ain't Ukraine anymore. Home's Poland. Or Romania. Or Hungary. Or Slovakia. Or wherever they end up. And so I think you're going to end up with a labor shortage. And then a fuel shortage. You know, you, you hear, you know, the, the, about how there's a fuel shortage there. And and there's just, there's just a ton of things, you know, ahead. And, and but... But okay, other things going on in Ukraine. It appears that the Russians are targeting targeting agricultural assets. Great surprise! They've went from quick lightning strike, take the thing, and um, now now it's now that's not happening. It's it's heading over to a let's just put some random mines out here so nobody's wanting to go into their field because you're going to blow up when your tractor hits the mine. To also uh, farm machinery and stuff being deliberately destroyed by the Russians, and then and then let's just look what we got ahead of us here in the United States. We got weather, you know. I was talk I was talking to and a shout out to to my cousin from Texas. Had a great conversation with him today. We talked about a lot of these things. He really gave me the motivation to to do this podcast. By the way, so you got to got to everybody needs to tell Glenn a big thank you. Um, but you know we, we you know he was talking about how dry it is in West Texas, and they had you know blowing and drifting dirt um and you know if they don't get some rain I think he took a couple towns in west texas two hundred and seventy four days without rain, you know it's not going to green up, and if they don't get some water, I mean this thing tell. You got an acreage battle, input, you know, input, not only the input price, but the input availability. Uh, 
you know, you and like I said, you you had people going and talking about CRP, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. But I really worry about price controls. And I tell you what else too, these people that want to control you, that want to you know take your bank accounts, that want the new world order and everything, what are they going to do with a food shortage around the world? You talk about wild government control. Uh, and people start rioting because they don't have food. I mean, the the Muslim Brotherhood, you had that Arab Spring, you had all that stuff going on. And, and then you look at the size of some of these margin calls that could be happening. You know, and, and I had one person explain it to me. They think it's a feed grain problem. They, they said milling wheat's okay, but you got to remember as you get feed grains higher, you're going to go more and more into the milling wheat, which means the milling wheat has to price itself out of feed rations and then i've also heard that and there's places around the world where there's excess amount of rice because rice really rice the rice market hasn't really participated in this run and boy i'd hate to be a rice farmer having to put on this high price nitrogen without you know a run up in price but they're talking about feed rice but quote unquote like feed wheat you know and 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 for those of you out there when i say it's it's wheat that's being fed it's rice that's being fed put into livestock rations because the price isn't high enough, other things are getting high. I mean, there already, there's already some extension specialists out there telling producers, and there's some other people around the world, they're talking about rations that, well, rice has got this much less protein than whatever, and this much more protein than this, and, you know, what you got to add to it, what, what, you know, what amino acids it's short, and all, all, all kinds of stuff. Um, it is, and, and, and is, you know, I've been thinking this. We need a very, very, very good U.S. crop just to scrape by this year. Just to have enough. Not to have an excess, but just to have enough. And that doesn't mean that there's not demand destruction going on there. That doesn't mean there won't be a lot of things. I mean, that, that, you know, I, I talked to a number of my friends, and you know, that, that are in this thing, and they talk about, boy, there's, there's a scheduled low, you know, sometime the second half of this year. But as one of them said the other day, you know, somebody asked him how low, what, what was, what's the low going to be? And he says, well, we got to find out what the high is first. And that's interesting. Um, you know, the, 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 and, and talking about the Russians doing the mining and Russians doing, you know, deliberately destroying the agriculture machinery, this is an economic war as much as anything else. Look at the sanctions that we're putting on them. You know, now Putin's came out and said, well, if you're going to buy oil from us, by God, you got to buy it in rubles. Um, and, and that's just, you know, the way it is. Um, and the Ukrainian agriculture minister resigned today. One, I wonder what's up with that. Um, you know, what, what's, what's up with that? That you know, um, the Ukrainian ag minister is, you know, what maybe he knows this thing's in, in as bad a shape as, as what maybe some people are starting to think. Um, uh, um, you know, and, and Ukraine's got to feed, feed her own people. Ukraine has to feed her own people before it worries about things that they're going to export to other countries, corn. Wheat. I mean, from what I can understand, they're going to plant sugar beets and sunflowers because they need the sun oil, they, they need vegetable oil, and they need um, uh, sugar beets for sure. 
And that's, that's where they're going to prioritize their fuel, seed, the resources, the fields that they can plant before it worries about exports. they got to, they got to feed their own people. You know, we talked about, you know, the ag groups urging the sowing crops on CRP. Now, Vilsack said it's premature on what is going to happen. Well, I can tell you this much. If you've got to start getting CRP ground ready, you need to start now to get a crop in the ground. I mean, a couple, couple things I would do. I would cancel the sign-ups on any more CRP right now. Probably even continuous, too. I, I wouldn't have any more field borders, filter strips, that I'd like. We're just gonna we're just gonna sit her out right now to see what happens, and then I would probably offer an early out on the twenty two contracts. You know, if that contract's coming out in October, the first of April, six months, I'll give you half a payment, and you can take it out. And, do, and and it wouldn't be it wouldn't be that many acres, but it'd be some. Now, if you want to put it back in, you can roll the dice that we're going to open and sign up back up sometime. Um, and, you know, by the 1st of October, things may be changed. And, you know, we talk about that low that's coming out there. You know, who knows? But, you know, I, I really think we're entering a very, very dangerous period when Putin realizes if if he can't win the war. Now, it looks like to me they switch from a lightning blitzkrieg to, you know, let's they're going to open us to welcome arms to now we're just going to pound them into submission. We're going to hit them with cruise missiles. We're going to hit them with rockets. We're going to hit them with artillery. Uh, our troops are not real well motivated. Um, you know, um, you know, you 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 know, you start reading all this stuff about you know possibly up to forty thousand killed, wounded, captured, or missing in action. Seems like a number of them have just decided to kind of fade away from the from the fight. Uh, Supposedly, Russian troops turning on each other. Supposedly, their squads ordered to kill deserting soldiers. Um, there has been a lot of generals die, which means they're having to lead from the front, which is probably a motivation problem. My dad, who's a World War II combat veteran, carried a BAR, fought across Europe. Um, he, he always said somebody that did not want to die was pretty easy to stop, which I think you could put most of the Russian soldiers in that category. They don't want to die. This isn't their fight. They're not motivated for it. They're pretty easy to stop. Now, he said somebody that didn't care whether they died or not is pretty damn hard to stop. And somebody that wanted to die was almost impossible to stop. Um, and, um, you know, that that's, that's you know, if, if, if Putin, if Putin starts thinking he can't win... Or he cannot win, or or it's going against him. You know, is the West going to give him a way out? You know, I've had some people saying that. Well, you know, maybe the West, the reason they're not uh, sending these um, um, anti-ship missiles, I guess there's some kind of anti-ship missile that they could give the Ukrainians that would basically make the Russian Navy and the Black Sea back away from the coast about 20 miles. Because that's about how far those those um, anti-ship missiles can go and um you know that the, there's also some other stuff that we're not giving them and they, they you know talking about germany's kind of slow walked some of their supplies to the ukrainians um you know so we so we drag this thing out we humiliate putin we make him look bad um we we kind of make sure that he really doesn't have a resounding victory, but at the end of the day, we don't give the Ukrainians everything they need to have to defeat him, 
and so Putin can kind of kind of grind out a win on this thing, and we get everybody back to you know planting crops and taking care of the world and the poor Ukrainian people. Too bad, so so sad. Putin's got nukes. You don't because you gave them up, even though we told you if you gave them up, we'd protect you. Thank you, Bill Clinton, for that. Yeah, Bill Clinton was the architect behind talking. If Ukraine had nuclear weapons, Russia never would have made a move on them. End of story. And I'm not, I'm not here defending the Ukrainians. I don't think this is the, the cleanest, most non-corrupt deal in the world. Um, but that's where it is. You know, Putin's defense minister supposedly has vanished. He has uh, heart problems, the, the rumor is. Uh, another one of Putin's associates who's been with him a long time all of a sudden showed up in Turkey. Appears he just kind of left. Um, you know, there, there's, uh, <laughs> you know, it, talking too about the United States making contingency, plan, contingency plans in case Russia uses its most powerful weapons. You got to remember too, Russia has tactical nukes. These aren't intercontinental ballistic missiles. These are actually nuclear warheads you can fire from an artillery shell or from a rocket, a short-range rocket, you know, designed to take out a, a bunch of soldiers or the downtown area of a city that they can't conquer because those guys are holding it up, and there probably won't be enough nuclear fallout from that to mess it up too long, and we can get our road from eastern Ukraine areas that we already took over to the Crimea. I'm talking about Maripol. Um, you know, it's it's M-A-A-R-I-U-P-O-L. Maripol. Um, uh, yeah, it's, you know, they're talking, you know, if, if it's 40,000 killed, wounded, captured, or MIA, that's more than the Soviets lost in Afghanistan. And they've done it in about a month. Daggum dangerous times we're living in, folks. Um, you know, and, and, and you just got to keep living. You know, my wife and I have had some, some issues, uh, challenges in our life. And, you know, it's people like, well, how do you keep going? Well, you just keep going. Um, you got you got another choice, you know, and you know you, these poor Ukrainian people don't have a choice, you know, and and Putin too would Putin you know put out those hit lists that he was going to kill these people, that he was going to do these people in, and he, I I think he really thought that color revolution in two thousand fourteen was uh, you know a whole CIA plot against him or something, and I don't think he realized the the width and depth and breadth of the Ukrainian people behind that. And the fact is, people like freedom, especially once they taste it, they like freedom. Um, but you, you put out these death squad lists, or you know these hit lists, well, there's a person who's going to die anyway, you might as well go down swinging, right? And, and, and I, there, there's a whole lot of things, you know, that, that I think when this thing gets dissected, well, no, and I. But then, then I had a friend though that that uh, after we got out of college, you all know that they're older. That the economy was not real good in the eighties, so he went into the military. I roomed with him at college for a while, and um, he, he he talked about that he thought Putin 
his only choice to do it was now. That they knew that a lot of their old Soviet equipment was, you know, kind of running on empty. That you know, the spare parts and you know stuff that and and just the demographics and everything else and the high price of oil and and the leadership in this country right now and the fact that we're kind of split over everything and that Putin kind of thought, you know, if I'm if I'm going to do it, I got to do it now uh, because my military is not going to be capable of doing it in another four or five years. And uh, that being the case, he jumped now, but yet maybe he should have jumped a year ago. Of course, I, you know, you got to remember, I, I, I really do believe, and I'm going to upset some people when I say this, that if Trump would have been in president, um, Putin wouldn't have jumped. And it's not because him and, him and uh, Putin were big buddies or anything. I think Putin fully understood that this guy, he, he, would, he would do something hard-hitting to me, too, if he could. And uh, a little unpredictability goes a long way for keeping somebody from doing something. Uh, you know, Biden came in here and signaled, well, we're not going to do any first strikes with nukes. You know, well, if, if they do a tactical deal, we, we probably won't use any nukes. Or if they throw one mistakenly, we probably won't do anything. Everything that tells a former KGB agent, and once KGB, always KGB, that you're weak... And Putin, Putin decided to go. Um, but but you get a guy like that cornered with no way out. You know what? What is the way out for him? That is that is a scary thought. And um, of course, on the other hand, too, you know, the Ukrainians are strong enough to stop him. But is that Ukrainian military strong enough to go on the offensive and and take back areas that the Russians have already held? And the fact is, it appears to me that the Russians are digging in, a la World War One trench warfare style. And you know these handheld missiles and all this other stuff. Um, looks like to me, it uh, you know the tank tank warfare. You know tanks changed the end of World War One. Tanks really changed the world in World War Two. We've seen what an armored column could do in the Iraq War. You know, in in the nineties. And then what tanks did, you know, in 2003 at Iraq. But now there's been, you know, kind of a, a handheld infantry weapons that, that have been somewhat successful at taking them out. And, and maybe it's just because the, the Russians aren't very good at coordinating their combined arms. And, and let's face it, the end of World War One, when the British, Canadians, mainly the British and Canadians, but also the Australians on the Western Front, figured out the combined arms aspect. And, you know, people give Haig hell for all the casualties he had at the Somme and that, but they, 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 they didn't know any better. You know, they were, they were, you know, dashing cavalry breakthrough, you know, mentality, and they had to figure out how to fight this war, and they, they learned how to use artillery, tanks, infantry, and air power in a combined military arms situation in the fall of you know 1918 and put it all together now a lot of people thought they weren't really going to get that going until 1920 and 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 you look at the casualties the american army uh, suffered over there pershing had it didn't learn much from the british but the british by 1918 had learned that combined arms 
and made that thing work. And our military is really good at combined arms. And also, you know, the, the old saying, amateurs look at tactics. The professionals look at logistics. And the Russians ran out of a bunch of stuff, it looks like to me, early, and they could not keep sustain the fight. You know, or as my dad said, he always loved being in the Third Army because he was in the, he was in a couple armies over there. The the 35th after the bulge got closed off, they got squeezed out and they got literally moved clear to the north end where they were right next to the uh, British. But he always said in the Third Army, we always had hot chow every night and we always had warm coffee every morning. And he said Patton ran that damn thing like a Swiss watch. And, you know, the, the rear echelon troops in the 3rd Army took care of the guys up front. And, it, you know, it, it was a well-oiled machine. Well, uh, doesn't look like somebody forgot the oil can with the Russian military. Doesn't mean that the sheer weight, they still don't win. And, you know, you know, long, you know cruise missiles, long-range rockets, you know, long-range long artillery, you can pound the ever-living daylights out of somebody without putting a lot of frontline troops up there. And how long can the Ukrainians hold out? Of course, you know, you look at the map and everybody thinks, well, Ukraine's pretty small because Russia's so huge. But Ukraine's like the size of Texas. So there's still a lot of hiding places in, in a country the size of Texas. And... You know, 200,000 sounds like a lot of people, but 200,000 troops to take over and hold something the size of Texas, I think they were hoping, I think they, I think Putin really thought that there was a bunch of Russian sympathizers. And there was probably Russians in Ukraine telling Putin there was a bunch of Russian sympathizers. And there was probably a lot of people close to Putin that didn't say anything different. But back to the markets. And that's really what I want to end this thing on. Um, we got some high prices. We got a lot of things going on. We got a lot of uncertainties. I think we got a lot of, um, I'm not sure we have faith that the free markets will be run as free markets, but by our own government, you know, we could get price controls or, you know, over-regulation or whatever. Uh, I think once they kind of figure out just how high prices could go on certain things, um, we're going to have to be careful and we need to really be thinking about this. And I'm going to go back to the, the farm groups and farm leaders better be thinking about, you know, what is our plan before the politicians give us a solution that we may not want to, if these markets lock up much like the London metal exchange has happened to it. Um, you know, if we get really high prices and the margin money gets high and you get, you know, uh, uh, people having trouble making it, making those margin calls, and you get, you know, really, really high prices, and people are sold early, disgruntled, and I mean, we, we got, we got, and you know what? We probably need to have a plan that is a very, very flexible plan, because you know, no, no plan is going to survive the first twenty-four hours of market chaos, and so we're, but, but the fact that we got a plan and we can go to the powers that be and say we got a plan you need to implement this and we can change it on the fly change it on the go as market conditions necessitate us doing that i i think i I think we we really need to be thinking about it and and there's there's a lot of people a lot smarter than i am that know a lot more about these markets than i do that probably need to be involved in this 
And I think it needs to be actual market participants that kind of understand, you know, what, what we may or may not need. Wild times, folks. Wild times in the markets. And that, that's maybe what I'm going to title this. Wild times in the market. Wild times in the market. A lot going on. Well, hey, went on. Oh, gosh, man. About 36 minutes. Longer than I thought. Hey, everybody. Smartest audience in agriculture. Thanks for listening.